Okay. Let's see. Twenty-eight in there. There's seventeen of you, so some of you need to take two. Most of you can take one. <clears throat> if you can. Uh, last week we talked about final judgment, and uh, I kind of want to put a bow on that. Uh, borrow Paul's expression there from last week. I ran across something by uh, Tom Asgall that I wanted to share with you before we dive into the uh, new heaven and new earth. Um, this is what Tom says. He says, there's no, there's one very serious defect uh, to my mind in Christ's moral character, and that is that he believed in hell. So wrote the agnostic British philosopher Bertrand Russell in 1967. The idea of eternal punishment for sin, he further notes, is a doctrine that put cruelty in the world and gave the world generations of cruel torture. His views are at least more consistent than religious philosopher John Hick, who refers to hell as a grim fantasy that is not only morally revolting, but also a serious perversion of the Christian gospel. Worse yet was theologian Clark Pennock, who despite having regarded himself as an evangelical, dismissed hell with a rhetorical question, how can one imagine for a moment that the God who gave his son to die for sinners because of his great love for them would install a torture chamber somewhere in the new creation in order to sub subject those who reject him to everlasting pain? Or what should we think of hell? Is the idea of it really responsible for all the cruelty and torture in the world? Is the doctrine of hell incompatible with the way of Jesus Christ? Hardly. In fact, the most prolific teacher of hell in the Bible is Jesus and he spoke more about it than he did about heaven In Matthew 25 41 through 46 he teaches us four truths about hell that should cause us to grieve over the prospect of anyone experiencing its horrors uh, those four truths he states first of all hell is a state of separation from God on the day of judgment Jesus will say to all unbelievers depart from me you cursed into the uh, eternal fire. This is the uh, same sort of language that Jesus uses elsewhere to describe the final judgment of believers. To be separated from God is to be separated from anything and everything good. That is hard to conceive because even the most miserable person enjoys some of God's blessings. We breathe His air, are nourished by food that He supplies, and experience many other aspects of His common grace. On earth, even atheists enjoy the benefits of God's goodness. But in hell, these blessings will be non-existent. Those consigned there will remember God's goodness and will even have some awareness of the unending pleasures of heaven, but they will have no access to them. This does not mean that God will be completely absent from hell. He is and will remain omnipresent. To be separated from the Lord and cast into hell does not mean that a person will finally be free of God that person will remain eternally accountable to him. He will remain Lord over the person's existence. But in hell, a person will be forever separated from God in his kindness, mercy, grace, and goodness. He will be consigned to deal with him in his holy wrath. The second aspect is hell is a state of association. Jesus says that the eternal fire of hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25, 41. People were made for God. Hell was made for the devil. Yet people who die in their sin without Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will spend eternity in hell with the one being who is most unlike God. It is a tragic irony that many who do not believe in the devil in this life will wind up spending eternity being tormented with him in hell. Thirdly, hell is a state of punishment. Jesus describes it as fire and a place of punishment. Hell is a place of retribution where justice is served through the payment for crimes. Punishment must fit the crime. The misery and torment of hell point to the wickedness and seriousness of sin. Those who protest the biblical doctrine of hell as being excessive betray their inadequate comprehension of the sinfulness of sin. For sinners to be consigned to anything less than the horrors of eternal punishment would be a miscarriage of justice. Finally, hell is an everlasting state. 
Though some would like to shorten the duration of this state, Jesus' words are very clear. He uses the same adjective to describe both punishment and life in verse 46. If hell is not eternal, neither is the new heaven and earth. How can God exact infinite punishment for a finite sin? First, because the person against whom all sin is committed is infinite. Crimes against the infinitely holy, infinitely kind, infinitely good, and infinitely supreme ruler of the world deserve unending punishment. In addition to the, that, those condemned to hell will go on sinning for eternity. There is no repentance in hell, so the punishment will continue as long as the sinning does. The dreadfulness of hell deepens our grateful praise for the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Hell is what we deserve, and hell is what, we exper what He experienced on the cross in our place. Believing the truth about hell also motivates us to persuade people to be reconciled to God. By God's grace, those of us who are trusting Christ have been rescued from the horrible destiny. How can we love people and refuse to speak plainly to them about the realities of eternal damnation and God's gracious provision of salvation? Clearer visions of hell will give us greater love for both God and people. So I felt like we, we kind of jumped to the conclusion there last week and really didn't get a chance to finish that out. Uh, so I wanted to share that with you. I thought it was pretty well stated. Uh, Tom Ascall A-S-C-O-L uh, It's called Four Truths About Hell and uh, this was um, uh, this was placed as a blog on Ligonier Ministries website. There's a couple of things that, were, that he mentioned in there that I don't think there's been any scriptural basis for. One was, and I'm not presenting this to argue on, it's a question. Uh, it seems as if there are statements that are in the New Testament that declare that hell will be an eternal separation from God. And in there he said that God is... Uh, omnipresent, mm -hmm. that God will in fact be in heaven. Right. I, I've never heard that before, never seen that. Well, but I, I think you have to look at it, uh, Bob, even now, a lost person is separated from God, yeah. but yet they're not outside God's presence. I, I think when you're talking about separation from God, you're talking about a broken relationship. And so while God has to be omnipresent in anything that's time and space oriented, um, there's no fellowship, there's no relationship there, so they are separated from him. They'll want, I mean, you know, we have the parable that Jesus shared of the rich man mm -hmm. in Luke 16, and he obviously was having communication with God, uh, but it wasn't his satisfaction. Yeah. So I think that's, that's probably the way I would explain what I think he's saying there. Okay. I mean, it does strike us odd at first because we don't think... God's going to be present in hell. But if he's omnipresent, there can't be anything outside of God's presence. So hell is part of God's creation. That's right. So. In Psalm 139 is one of my favorite passages. And he referenced that there. I just didn't read it. So. He talks about where can I go and be away from you. Right, to, right. The depths of the sea you're there. If I go to Sheol, you were there. I mean, I think that's going to be, from, from what he just said and from what Scripture indicates, that'll be part of the torment of hell is that there'll still be an awareness of God present, but yet an inability to have that satisfying relationship with God that no longer is possible. Okay? Moving on to better subjects. <laughs> We're going to talk about heaven. All right. Now that we've scared all of you. I ain't scared of hell. You're not scared of hell? No, I ain't going there. Okay. <clears throat> Heaven is used approximately 600 times in the Bible. Uh, the Hebrew term means the heights.
The Greek term, oranos, refers to that which is raised up or lofty. The Bible uses these terms to refer to three different places in Scripture. Or three heavens. Do you remember Paul talking about the third heaven, right? So there's, by default, first heaven. And, and these really are defined more by the usage in Scripture. And then a second heaven. A first heaven is is an atmospheric heaven. The region, the region of the breathable atmosphere that covers the earth. Genesis 7, 11 through 12 addresses this. And it says, And the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. The windows of heavens were opened. Speaking of the canopy that surround, surrounded creation as we understand it at that time. So here, heavens refers to this blanket of atmosphere around the world. Psalm 147, verse 8 says, God covers the heavens with clouds. God uses this atmospheric heaven to provide good things to all people. Acts 14, 17 says, He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with good and gladness. So the first heaven... The second is planetary. And speaks for itself, right? This is speaking about the, uh, uh, the stars and uh, planets that are often referred to as the heavenlies, right? Gary, is this based on the etymology of both the Hebrew and the Greek word? Um, no, I don't, I don't know that that's true. I think it's more on the context of how they're used and, and explained. Um, okay. uh, this, this is primarily coming from um, MacArthur's Bible Doctrine, um, okay. where the, uh, the three heavens in Scripture are described. So the second heaven is where the sun, moon, planets, and stars exist. Genesis 1, 14 through 17 says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for season and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule. I mean, what, what they're doing is saying these are the ways these terms are used or this term is used in Scripture that there's a, a first heaven usage that refers to the general atmosphere around the earth. Then there's a planetary usage that refers more to a broader heavenly expanse, including the stars, the sun, those kind of things. And then the third heaven is generally where you have the throne of God. You have, the, have God dwelling, okay? The third heaven is dwelling place of God the holy angels, and deceased saints. Paul mentions it in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 4, uh, where many believe he's talking about himself. He says, I know a man in Christ, Paul, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard, the, heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. So this does not mean that God's contained in this third heaven, but that this kind of is the central point, evidently, of, of his dwelling, his throne. <clears throat> um, it can't contain him. 1 Kings 8.27 says, Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. However, this third heaven is uniquely God's home. It is the command post and center of operation for his universal kingdom from which he rules over everything in the universe. 
Um, who's got Psalm 103, 19? Me. Read that for us. And I looked it up ahead of time. All right. What I did with it. Okay, here we go. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Okay. Revelation 21, 10. That'd be me too. I used a different Did you take them all? No, I don't know Belinda did. <laughs> so this is out of the Net Bible. So he took me away in the spirit to a huge majestic mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Revelation 3.12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. Matthew 6 9. I have another one here. Matthew 6 9. Right. Oh, I don't have that. You don't have it? 6 19. Somebody got 6 9 or 6 10? All right. 6 9 talks about God as the Father of. Uh, God the Father is the center of the third heaven. Okay? Uh, 610, Jesus prays for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? Where he's located. Psalm 2 4. Did I give that one to anybody? I didn't give everything I had. Some of them I just wrote notes to. Psalm 2 4 says the Father sits in the heavens and laughs at the rebellious nations on earth. The resurrected Jesus dwells there. Um, I know somebody's got Acts 1 11. Uh, I do. And said, Men of Galilee, why do you look, why, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So scripture told us that when Jesus ascended, he went back into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Psalm 110, 1, 1 and 2. Here is the Lord's proclamation to my Lord. Sit down at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord extends your dominion from Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Okay, Hebrews 9, 24. Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Acts 7, 56. Uh, I have that. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So you have Stephen <clears throat> confirming uh, this truth. The dead in Christ are there. Uh, Hebrews 12, 23. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are in, enrolled in heaven and to God, judge of all, and to the spirits of righteousness made perfect. Okay, Luke 10, 20. Ten twenty. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Philippians three twenty. Philippians three twenty. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Matthew five twelve. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So we know that these verses are not talking about the atmospheric heavens and not talking about the planetary heavens, but talking about this third heaven, which is uniquely the home of God, the, the place where God dwells, where the command of operation takes place uh, of all all. Uh, creation and those who Paul says in 2nd Corinthians 
To be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord, is to be in His presence. Uh, there will be a final heaven, 2 Peter 3.13. And uh, Revelation 21, 1 through 3, and 3 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, dressed, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them be their God. He will wipe away tears from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost in the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Believers are going to live eternally with God in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, Revelation 22, 3, and Matthew 25, 34. Who's got those? I read 22, 3. Okay. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will Okay, and Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. Christians uh, talk a lot about uh, living with God, abiding with God forever in heaven. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's always a popular topic. It's, it's especially uh, popular when you come to uh, a funeral service, you know, where someone has, has left us. And we do a lot of generalizing and we do a lot of relying upon tradition and things that, uh, you know, I would call folklore, uh, where we conjure up ideas about what heaven is. And, and as far, you know, we, we are, we all believe that those that are welcomed into heaven, every one of us here tonight would say, to go to heaven, you have to have faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Is that a true statement? Everybody in here would agree with that. But when it comes to sickness and death, we're practicing universalists. We think everybody's going to go to heaven. Because we can't bear the thoughts of considering that someone might not go. I had a conversation just today with someone that had a conversation with family um, this past weekend where this subject came up about someone who was deceased, a family member who was deceased, and everyone knows that this person gave no evidence of a relationship with Christ while they were here on this earth. But when, it was, when the subject was broached about this person not being in heaven and maybe going to hell, it caused some family members to kind of implode, explode, um, and take issue with it. So this is a common thing that we find out is that we tend to generalize when it comes to bringing consolation or comfort to people who are grieving. And I don't know if it's we don't want to pile on and we think that's piling on, or if we really don't want to think about someone possibly going to hell and we're trying to give them every break and second chance we can. Uh, and that, that was this person was asking me because um, uh, one of the family members was saying, I just believe that after this life, you're going to get a second chance. And I said, well, the problem with that is this life is the second chance. This is our second chance. And there won't be a third one. And, uh, but most people don't want to deal with that. Even Christians, lots of times, become practicing universalists when it comes to uh, heaven and hell uh, in these, these times. We, we talk about it on Sunday. We're all supportive of it. We believe it. We say we believe it. We preach it. We teach it, all those things, but when it comes down to walking in it, it's a much more difficult thing. So Pastor Matthew seven fourteen says, Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that lead 
clear. Scripture is clear. And, and none of us would argue with that. But when you're looking at someone through tears in their eyes because they've lost someone, and, and really, there's not a lot to be gained by having a frank conversation at that point, okay? Uh, but even Christians will look at a family member that hasn't been walking with the Lord, hasn't given any indication they wanted to walk with the Lord, and they'll give them every benefit of a doubt that, yeah, they're in heaven kind of thing, you know? We, we spiritualize death as everybody's going into the presence of the Lord. Mama's up there looking down on me today. It happened to me. My, my brother died about five years ago. Gosh, has it been that long? Zero evidence that, that he was a believer. Mm -hmm. I don't, any guy hadn't set foot in a church and building in 30 years. And, uh, and my mom ran around telling everybody he's in a better place now. Yeah. And it wasn't any, I couldn't talk to her. Yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't know what I could have said that would have helped at that point because she was mostly in denial, yeah. in emotional trauma. And that's one side of it. I had an experience where I was trying to share my, you know, share the gospel with someone at work, who, you know, I think they were ready to to accept. They understood, and they were, but to accept meant they had to admit that their their father, because they didn't accept, you know, was would be separated from God and. And that kept this person from believing. Yeah, just the guilt of it. Yeah. Why should I be saved and they not? Yeah. So it, your statement's interesting, though. You, you said you think most people believe no. that. No, I think believe. most Christians think. would would agree with you have to put your faith in, in Christ to go to heaven. Okay. But when it comes down to walking practically in that, well, sometimes we struggle with that. We, we tend to say things and act ways that makes us practicing universalists. I don't think we're thinking about it that deeply. We would still affirm the truth that you've got to put your faith and trust in Christ. But the things we do and say and the way we act in those situations sends a different message. To make us more comfortable. Right. Yeah, so I have, I have some friends that are Mormon, and we often have this debate because they believe almost nobody will go to hell. And so I always go yeah, to We're going to get a planet. Yeah, it, yeah, I always go to this verse, and they have trouble explaining that. But you know, they you know go to other scripture where they say that you know there's three. They actually believe there's three heavens, but it's not what you've explained here. Right. But, it, but it's interesting that. Uh, so I, anyway, it caught my attention what you said because I have this argument with them. Yeah. Um, or debate with them. And and I don't have empirical evidence. I just. 30 years of experience and walking with people through these situations and observing these kinds of things. You know, this is anecdotal at best, but. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's of a value when, you know, it comes to having those conversations with people like my That's friends. Right. So. And it's a value, I say it for us in here, that we're more aware right. in these situations of walking what we say we believe in those times uh, and that it can be hard. You know, it's hard to face that truth that Mama or Uncle Joe yeah. might not be going to heaven, and you know, did I do all the? Should I have shared more? And you know, and that's the problem too. We have to wrestle with that guilt, and we need to be careful that we don't assume that guilt because it's not our responsibility to save them. It is our responsibility to tell them, but it's not our responsibility to save them. You can't save anyone, so you can't take the blame for someone else's you know, condemnation. That's some of it. Some of it's we're scared to have those conversations with people while they're living because we're, we fear rejection. We fear maybe I don't have the right answers. Those kind of, Maybe I'm going to mess it up. All the reasons that we have for anything, but particularly when it comes to family, until it's too late. And then we, we wish someone would. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, I wish you'd go talk to my you know, my family member. Well, why me? Because I'm the, designate, I'm the designated hitter. Um, you want me to go hit the home run. And, and that's fine. I'm glad to do it. But what I'm saying is that, you know, we should all take more responsibility, uh, that we all have that, that responsibility to, and command to share our faith with people. And it's going to be more meaningful coming from someone who loves them than it is from someone maybe they've never met before uh, who's a pastor who they think is just there doing his duty. Trying to get you in so he can get you money. That's what most of them think. Do you regret it? 
Huh? You'll regret not telling them. That's if, right. You don't because after it's all over with, you'll ask yourself that question. That's right. Are they in heaven? There's no way we can know. We can't judge. We can't look into someone's heart and know. But we can know if we were faithful in praying for them and faithful in trying to share our faith, and that's all we can do. The rest of it's between them and God. You know the three things to pray for you know, regarding evangelizing your family? That somebody else will do it, that somebody else will do it, and somebody else will do it. <laughs> this is true. That this well, is true. It's it's funny, but it's not so funny. I was I am saved. I was baptized as a baby. Yeah, you get that too a lot. You know, I mean, this is where things have become so convoluted in a pluralistic society. We have we have to consider words do not mean the same things they did. They do not bring the automatic clarity with them that we've been accustomed to. Uh, when maybe in a traditional culture like we've seen here in America going back 30 or 40 years ago, words typically meant the same things and we all have an understanding of what they meant. Now the world has, has blended together and those words don't have the same meanings for everyone. So, you know, have you been, have you given, you know, are you a Christ follower? I, I've gotten away from using Christian. I've gotten away from using things like that that people uh, have gotten accustomed to hearing and challenge people, are you a Christ follower? You know, are, if you're a Christ follower, you know, do you look like Christ? Are you, are you really following Him? Because it implies that we're emulating Him or seeking to emulate Him if we're a Christ follower. If you're a Christian, you know, half the world thinks that you're an American and you're a Christian. You know, and half of America thinks that they live in America. That makes them automatically a Christian because it's a, quote, Christian nation, which we know is a fallacy, right? One of our weaknesses in Christian circles is our views about heaven. So we just talked about that. More, um, more accurate. It's more accurate to reflect on all that God is doing, an entirely renewed new creation, and we will live there with God without fear of being condemned or annihilated by God. You know, we've talked about the holiness of God and how devastating that is. He told Moses, "You can't look on my glory because it would kill you." Why? because I'm absolutely holy, I'm without sin. And to you know, bring my holiness and my glory at full force in, into your presence as a sinner would, would annihilate you, it would just devastate you completely. You'd have no chance because that's what holiness does to sin is that it vanquishes it. Uh, and so God, really, when Jesus came into the world, he cloaked his holiness behind flesh, you know? Uh, God has, has set up uh, protections. You know, He used the veil in the Holy of Holies with the tabernacle and the temple uh, in order to protect the people. Uh, we, we always have this idea it's about us going in and maybe contaminating God's holiness. It's more about the judgment of God. And you go back and look at the, uh, the temple in the Old Testament, you know, and when, when God descended upon it, there were things that had to be, had to be done before God would, would uh, allow his presence to fill the temple. You know, they, they had to keep the covenant. They had, there had to be an ethic that represented their commitment to serve and honor and obey God, okay? In other words, God said, here's the law, and the people said, yes, we will obey the law. Here's the covenant. We agree to it. And that means we're going to do what the covenant, what the law asks us to do, and we're going to worship you in spirit and truth as you command. And God then would fill the temple, but still the temple protected the people from his raw presence, if we can say it that way, and immediate judgment. Um, Isaiah 65, 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered. 2 Peter three thirteen. According to his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Revelation 21, 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Uh, there's going to be a new type of unification of heaven and earth, a holy city coming down out of heaven from God with a voice proclaiming that the dwelling of God is with men. Now, I think it was Grudem um, posed the question, you know, are we looking at a renewed, restored creation, or are we looking 
at a completely brand new creation from God. Yes. <laughs> Both. Both and. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I think the point uh, that that he was the, that we make here is there's a difference between this view that God is going to uh, totally burn up, destroy the creation, the heavens and the earth as we know them because they've been corrupted, blah, 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 mm -hmm. and he's going to make a brand new one. But see, this kind of goes in the face of redemption. It kind of works against redemption to buy that new. Newness in the sense of renewal, of restoring that which has been marred and make it new again seems to fit more with God's overall plan and purpose and what he's working with us. Why didn't he just destroy us and make us new again? So I think my tendency is to think I think it is a, a renewal. He's making new again the things that he created in the beginning that have been marred and uh, broken by sin. What is heaven? We consider the place uh, where God dwells. Isaiah 66, 1. Anybody? Anybody have that one? Isaiah 66, 1. Nobody? What about Matthew 6, 9? 6, 9. We, we already read that. I have 6, 19, but I can go to 6, 9. Yeah, read 6, 9 for us, James. Somebody did a lousy job on putting these verses together. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. First Peter 3.22. Anybody have that one? I'm going to have to get after my assistant. You're not kidding, I do. I'll do better next time. <laughs> Uh, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him? Heaven is the place where God most fully makes his presence uh, to bless. Heaven is a place, not just a state of mind. The earth is a particular place in time and space. Is heaven the same? Well, the short answer is we don't know. There's a couple things we can deduce is that it has to, whatever physical existence we live in, it has to be outside of that physical existence. What do you mean? In, in that we, we have a, the, the, the physical universe we can see, the things we can touch, the places we can go, even going into outer space and touching the moon, um, heaven doesn't seem to be that kind of a place. Well, I would disagree with that. It's a real place. But we can't go and touch it. it, I, would, I, it would, I don't see a basis for that, though. Has anybody ever gone and touched it? Well, but it's not here yet. But Scripture clearly tells us in Revelation that it's coming. There's going to be a unification of what we know, time and space-wise, and this new heaven, new creation that God is... You're talking about making. where God's throne is right this second. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, who was the Russian not, cosmonauts went up to just, space and came back and said, we looked around, we didn't see God anywhere. Yeah, we're not talking about the same thing. I'm talking about something different. Okay. Yeah, of course, it's a, it's a real place, of course. Right, but it's not a place that we can get to right now. Mm -hmm. Not whatever without dying. That, whatever that means. Not without dying and leaving this place. Yeah, I would I would agree. Okay, we hear Isaiah sixty six. Yes, please. <laughs> Rescue Kyle from this <laughs> torturous brow beating I'm giving. I'm sorry, Kyle, but listen carefully. <laughs> Thus says the Lord: Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? Does that answer your question? Thanks, Bob. Of course, we know there are many people outside evangelical life that would deny the reality of heaven, thinking it's a fantasy. 
Uh, it's a crutch that, that people need to get them through uh, the, the challenges of this life. Um, and the reason that they do this is because we, we don't, it's you, what you hit on just a moment ago, we don't have any empirical evidence that we can point to. We, we don't have any rocks that anybody's brought back from there. We don't, all we have is what the Bible itself says. This is the only real testimony we have of this place. Which is a sufficient testimony. It is for us, mm -hmm. uh, but for a lost man, you know, who's looking for more than that, he's wanting to be convinced that there isn't any. Um, so Acts 1, 9, and 11, who has that? I got it. Um, you got a transitional situation. Acts 1, 9. Got it. And when he said, when he had said these things, and they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And 11. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And Luke 24, 51. While, while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Okay. John 14, 2 and 3. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So heaven is a place. Heaven is going to be, if it's not currently, it will be tangible. Um, we don't know the language that's used to describe this place to us. I mean, uh, I don't know that it's going to be a place that's got jasper walls and gold streets. Uh, sometimes I think the language that's used is because the, we didn't have anything else. John didn't have any other way of expressing uh, other than things that we can lay our eyes on here. You take the most precious metal known to us on earth and always has been is gold. And you make that what you build streets out of Maybe it's metaphorical in that sense and that it's pointing toward the grandeur uh, of this presence of God, this place with God, uh, in a way that we can understand. Um, we get a little caught up sometimes in the mansion over the hilltop, you know, and uh, because that's us imposing our worldly views on God's heaven, you know, and we don't know what it's going to be. I get asked that a lot. What's heaven going to be like? I don't know. I know it's going to be better than anything you've ever experienced. I know it's going to fulfill every desire you've ever had. It's going to be better than that. Uh, it, being in the presence of God for a Christian is going to be better than you can know. Um, I've had people argue with me because I said, I don't know what we're going to do there. Uh, I imagine we're going to continue to serve. But, you know, serving is fulfilling for most of us when, when you do it. we just never done it right. With the I right think work, and I think there'll be perfect work and fulfilling work. That's right. There'll be no greed, no ambition, none of those kind of things. Maybe a desire for excellence to do it unto the Lord as the way God's always wanted, but not uh, not a desire to you know get ahead, not a desire to get ahead. I need more than Kyle's got. Those kind of things won't exist. In fact, if Kyle is rewarded for work by the Lord, I'm going to be able to celebrate that more than if it were me having done it. I believe that's the way heaven's going to be. We see that described in, in the New Testament in the church that each believer submits into other believers. He humbles himself to other believers. He wants the best and most for other believers, not for himself. And I think that's going to be perfected uh, in heaven. Um, but it is going to be tangible and it's going to be real. Jesus had a resurrected body that he took back to heaven, so we know that that it's going to be it's going to be tangible. You can touch it moving forward. We're going to have resurrected bodies too. Your body that you have now is going to be transformed, incorruptible at your resurrection. You say, "Well, I don't like my body now." Well, you'll like it then. You'll like it then. It's going to be in its perfect state as God always intended and planned for it to be. Am I going to be able to get back in size 34 pants? <laughs> Think in terms of robes. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
for a robe. <laughs> How much more comfortable is a free-flowing robe than, than pants? I don't know. I, I don't know what we're going to be wearing. I don't know that, and you don't know that. Will we even have clothes? Adam and Eve didn't wear clothes, and they were not ashamed. They were clothed in life, the scripture says. So is that going to be our clothing? Maybe. Won't be washing machines. Okay, moving along. Physical creation will be renewed, and we will continue to exist and act in it. Why is everybody looking at me? I didn't say a thing. You brought it up. Okay, our resurrection bodies will be part of the renewed creation. Uh, we will eat and drink. Revelation 19.9 tells us that. Luke 22.18, Jesus referred to the disciples and in the kingdom, drinking wine together, celebrating the supper together again. Uh, Revelation 22.1 and 2, we have uh, reference to a river of water of life and to a tree of life that produces fruit. Again, people say, well, it's symbolic. Well, maybe it is and maybe it isn't, you know? I think, you know, we make the mistake when we detach the future from the past. You read them on that I'm sorry. <laughs> I was getting no response from any of you, so I just decided to do You skipped over almost nobody had, and then you read them on that You have self-control. I'm still thinking about no pants in there. <laughs> no pants in That's there. why he read mine. He got flustered. Eden. Think, think of Eden as um, the scripture doesn't call it this but think of it as, as a temple like setting and you have God in perfect fellowship with his creation with man and creation man bore the image of God imago Dei he, he bore the image of God, created in the image of God. What does that mean? We don't know that exactly. But we know that there's enough of God in us to where you can recognize who we belong to, okay? And, uh, and we could fulfill his purpose. We were designated to be his vice regents, his rulers and reigners over all creation that God has made. Sin broke this fellowship, right? So then we've got all this history, historical timeline, where God is undoing what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And he's doing it his way and in his time through redemption. Jesus came to put it all back in order, to pay the price that was owed to God for the breach and, and to begin the restoration Resurrection. His resurrection was a first fruit of more resurrections to come, right? Nobody else has been there yet. A lot of people have died. They've gone on to be in the presence of the Lord. But there's coming a day where the rest of the fruit's going to follow the first fruit, right? But what we're headed toward ultimately is the new heaven and the new earth. See that portrayed in Revelation 21 and 22. And what does it say? It says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, a new city, a holy city, Jerusalem, coming down. And you see this unification taking place, this new creation. How it's going to happen, I don't know. I'm just saying this is what Scripture describes. And there will be no more tears, no more suffering, no more evidence of the fall all that's gone and we're back to this it's restored and we won't have need for a temple God won't have to he won't have to shield his holiness from us anymore he will be the temple is what we're told there'll be no need of light no moon no sun and the stars none of that stuff is necessary will it still be there it doesn't seem to indicate that it will be because the sun himself will be the light. Right? Full, full passage back to what God intended from the very beginning. Except. Except. On this side of all of this. 
we will have the capacity and the ability and the desire to praise God more than we could ever have had on the other side. Isn't it scripture that says that the angels long to look into these things and understand them? That the angels look at the redemptive process, being on the outside, never having fallen and been redeemed, they don't appreciate or understand it. They long to look into it. Why would God go to this trouble and do this? And then how could God bring this about, suffering and purchasing it for himself? And he brings it full circle. Had, had the fall never happened and these things never happened, we would have certainly been able to praise and honor God just like the angels do. But not with the gusto and not with the passion and not with the gratitude and thankfulness that we'll be able to in the new heaven and the new earth because we know what it's like to have been lost and found. This could have been done differently, but you know, not for the glory of God, not for the greatness of the glory of God. Redemption brings even greater glory. That's right. Redemption broadcasts a greater glory to God than if we had all been perfect from the get-go and stayed that way. I know. We sit here and go, wow, that's a lot. You, you're telling me, you know, the suffering, the, the loss, the people who don't, who aren't part of the elect. You're telling, I got nothing for there. All I know is you have to trust God on this. The creator who makes no mistakes, who is perfect in every way, put it all together, and he has deemed and decided. This is why I told you a few weeks ago, I'd much rather default to the perfect knowledge of God than try to look at it from my through my lens because my lens is dirty God doesn't make those mistakes and I can trust him he says he predetermined he predestined he elected he chose he's fulfilled he's completed he promised and he's done it I'm I'm grateful for that for that assurance I'm grateful for that that he didn't leave it up to me <clears throat> okay. Questions? It took us a while to get there, but that last that last exclamation point is pretty good, right? Yeah. It's pretty good. Questions? What was the misstudy of that pick book? And we're not done. I know we're done with the book, but we're not done, so we'll be here next week. All right. Go from there.